Hello. Thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. Thank you, Vince. I don't know if it's the child in me or not, but I imagine myself playing in a fountain. You know, those ones in the park that you're supposed to throw coins into. And as that song, you think of the thief that was on the side of Jesus. He believed and placed his faith in Jesus that Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He ran underneath that fountain. The blood of Jesus covered him. I remember that. What that was like when I was so little running to that fountain and letting the blood of Jesus pour over me. I hope that's you. I hope you sit here today, experienced the forgiveness of God. If you have, we have an opportunity now to remember in a very tangible way. Thankfully, it's not about the quality of these bread and juice, but it's about what it represents. There is something sacred about what it represents. The broken body of our Savior, Jesus Christ. It was broken. Jesus was broken for you and for me so that we can have and experience an eternal relationship. We eat together. And this cup... representing the blood of our Savior, Jesus. When God gave a covenant, that covenant did not come to an effect until there was blood that was sacrificed. We live under a new covenant, and it was made possible because of the blood of Jesus. Jesus' blood wipes all our sin away. We drink in remembrance. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for giving your life so that we could have life eternal. As we approach your word, we pray that you would open the eyes of our heart that we may hear from you And so that you may change us from the inside out. Draw us closer to you. Help us not to be hearers of the word only this morning, but help us to then hear your word and leave here doers of your word. We need your help and we need your spirit to move amongst us this day. And that's what we ask, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13, we're going to cover the first 12 verses this morning. Next week, if you want to read ahead, you may do so. We're going to follow um, along and we'll finish the rest of chapter 13, I hope to, next week. So I encourage you, you can read ahead in in the days ahead um, in this upcoming week. But today, we're going to do Acts 13. We're going to cover Acts 13, unpack it. 
Acts 13, 1 through 12. I want to read it with you, and, uh, and then we'll walk back and kind of digest it and unpack some truths in the Word. So if you will, you can follow along with me. Hopefully you have your Bibles with you. You can follow along there. It'll also be up on the screen. And uh, I'll be reading from the ESV version. Now there were, were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod, the Tatriarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews. And they had John to assist them. And when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came to a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. Then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. I made it. I just want to let you know how hard I worked this week and all those pronunciations. I'm so thankful for Google. But it's so funny because Google even differs and what they say. You look up on YouTube and how to pronounce some of these names and you hear it one way and you hear it another way and it's like, okay, what way? So you say it however you want to say it and I'll probably say it different than I just read. So um, when we look at this, uh, we see um, this is now headed in, we're headed in Acts in, in a new direction where we've been looking at Peter and we were given a little glimpse of Saul and Barnabas in two chapters ago, um, there was kind of a flashback in chapter 12 last week where Dr. Luke gives us a flashback of what was happening with Peter and, and those who were following Christ and the what they were going through, the, 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 the tribulations, the, the hardship that they were encountering. And so we continue now. Now Dr. Luke will bring us back as Saul, 
which we will see here, there is a change of name that Dr. Luke will use for us. And in our passage today, he will go from Saul to being Paul. Some people believe it has to do with this uh, part of the cohort here who he's ministering to uh, and his uh, Sergius Paulus that Paul will get his name. That's, it, it is not from that, okay? Saul's name is changed to Paul, uh, and it has nothing to do with this convert here who trusts in Jesus. Um, but this is an important element because from this point on, this is the start of Paul's missionary journeys. In a few weeks, we're going to dig a little bit deeper as we start going through some of his journeys. Uh, and so we're going to kind of look at that in a deeper way. We're not going to look at it. We're kind of look at it at the overhead right now. And then we're going to see how they all work together as he journeys from region and place to place. But this is the start of this first missionary journey as Paul and Barnabas are sent out. So they're, they're in the church in Antioch. Verse 1 says the church in Antioch. And there were leaders there. And those leaders, uh, often Luke gives them the titles prophets and teachers. And so prophets are ones who are um, giving the instruction and the leading of the Lord and teachers help give insight from the Old Testament and bring it in. So um, they have the law and the Old Testament and the teachers are explaining how, how these, uh, the, the new, the, the church, how the church um, is supposed to live in connection to that after following Jesus because Jesus changes everything in that way. And so um, you have prophets who are proclaiming the truth of Jesus and the teachers who are taking the law in the Old Testament and helping them to see how to live that out. What we see is Dr. Luke gives us a picture of what, what this looks like. And there's quite the diversity in the church in Antioch. And so this church is quite diverse. And we see that as these names are listed out. And so I want to take a minute if you just read it, you may not understand, but I want to give you some insight here uh, on each one of these five different characters that are listed. First is listed Barnabas. We know a little bit about Barnabas. He's already been listed before. He is a Greek-speaking Jew who is from Cyprus. Uh, we are going to travel to Cyprus in a little bit, and so that, that gives us, again, Dr. Luke is good at doing that. He's foreshadowing what is to come. He lists Barnabas first, almost to say, okay, this is where we're going to go first. We're going to go um, see where Barnabas was and, uh, and to his homeland. Barnabas is here, and roughly 20 years later, um, um, the... Church history tells us, it's not a biblical text, but church history tells us that Barnabas will actually lose his life um, back on the island of Cyprus 20 years after what we are going to read today. And so, just gives you a little bit of insight. Second is Simeon, okay? Uh, Simeon is a black man, a dark complexion uh, from Niger, uh, and so... This gives us a clear picture that, that the diversity, again, it's not just white or even Arab, um, Arab Jews. The, the church is made up, and, and Dr. Luke helps us to see, of all different nationalities. 
Lucius is from Cyrene, uh, which is north, north Africa. Uh, and in Acts chapter 6, verse 9, we see the, um, his people, the, the people from uh, Cyrene, had fled from Jerusalem. They were in Jerusalem, and they have fled Jerusalem. And so he has probably been a part of that, where he came and uh, was a Jew from North Africa um, and was there in Jerusalem and has since moved out of that. And Acts chapter 6, verse 9 tells us that. And then we come to uh, Manon, um, and this is a man who uh, was probably um, very um, um, well-to-do, a well-to-do Jewish family, uh, a no- noble Jewish family. It says here, the Greek word is, he is brought up, okay? So he's brought up with Herod Antipas, um, meaning he was probably buddies with him growing up, maybe in schooling. And uh, this is the Herod Antipas who killed John the Baptist. And so here is this, this man who this, he's now a leader in the church in, uh, in Antioch, having been brought up with Herod. Uh, and, and, and so we see this is a man who is very well educated, and, and very uh, understanding of, uh, of the Roman um, culture and mindset. And then we come to Saul. And uh, Saul was um, from Tarsus originally, and he was a Jew. He stuttered under uh, Gamaliel and, uh, and was very knowledgeable of the law and very, very insightful. You say, oh, Pastor Aaron... That's good knowledge, good work on your study. What does that have to do with me? What it tells us is the church was made up of a lot of different people. They didn't look the same. They had a lot of different backgrounds. This is the early church. This is the first century church that we're talking about. And we would do well to continue that diversity. And so when we look at our church, we want our church to look like that. And we shouldn't want church, the believers of Jesus Christ, to look all the same. And if somebody says that they need to look all the same, that should be a caution red flag to us. There have been those in past history who have said that. Do not be fooled. Do not be blinded. That is not the makeup that God has intended for the church to look like. And this clearly tells us. So these leaders are there, and they're praying, okay? They're worshiping. Verse 2 says, while they were worshiping the Lord and they were fasting. Let me just pause for a moment here, because we in our Baptist roots here, um, we're not very good at this, and let me encourage you to do some research and study, and I've done this before, I've encouraged you before, and and eventually I'm going to really hammer on this one Sunday. We're going to talk about fasting, but let me encourage you to do that right now. When was the last time you fasted as you sought to worship the Lord? You say, well, maybe maybe you can't because you're diabetic, because of your health, That's okay. I'm not saying that you have to totally cut out. God knows your restrictions. 
God knows my restriction. I am not diabetic, and even though I love donuts, I don't have to have a donut. All right? When we're talking about fasting, there is a connection as we read through the scriptures that food has with our spiritual walk with God. And so as you look at your food intake, your diet, there is at some level a connection with your walk with God. So that's what I want to highlight here. We see this especially as we walk through Acts and in the early church. They're fasting as they worship. There is a cost. What do we, what do we like? We like the other C word, not cost. Don't, don't tell me what it costs. I want convenience. I want it to be easy. I want it now. That's not the way the early church looked at their relationship with Jesus. They were willing to sacrifice as they sought the Lord. So they're worshiping, verse 2, they're worshiping the Lord, fasting. And the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. What we see here is that God's spirit is leading and dictating the missionary work. And so this is a direct speech. This is a direct line from the spirit. This is not the leaders who are saying this. The text tells us, Dr. Luke records for us that this is the Holy Spirit here speaking, which makes it even more authoritative. So the missionary work that's going to be done is because God's spirit has spoken. So only, uh, only, this is the only direct imperative in the book of Acts um, to the church. And so this is Paul's missionary work, and it is because the Spirit of God has said so. What do they say? Well, what do we see? We see the leaders as they're praying, the Spirit of God says, set them apart. I've called them. Um, and so... After fasting, more fasting, more praying. And so when we think of that, they're probably praying for wisdom, for guidance, for courage, for protection for Paul and Barnabas. After that, they come together and they lay their hands on Paul and Barnabas for God's presence, for God's blessing, and for God's empowerment upon them. And then it says that they sent them, meaning they were being obedient. They were showing obedience and sending them out. So the sending agency is the Holy Spirit. It's not the church. The Spirit of God is the sending agency. The church in Antioch is confirming that calling. They're saying we are coming behind the Spirit of God that has put that calling on your life and we are confirming that calling. We have a young lady and her daughter who God has called to go to Portugal, Jen and Morgan Allison. God has spoken to them and we've prayed for them and with them in that calling. And we believe that that is true. And so we have a responsibility as a church to come alongside 
and, and confirm that and be behind them in doing that. Missionary work is supported by the local church. We see that in this text. Missions in this Latin word means to send. And so we have a mission, and that mission is to proclaim Jesus and to display his glory here. But missions at its very heart is a term that means to send. It amazes me that there are some people, that some Christians that I come to that are against sending missionaries. How can you be against sending missionaries when it's in the Bible, when it's in our text? Missions at its very core means to send. You may be sent right where you are, in your home, at your workplace, with your family, but God sends some to other places. And we see that with Paul and Barnabas. So, as they are sent... Verse 4, they are being sent out. Again, Dr. Luke helps us see this isn't the church of Antioch that's sending them out. No, it's the spirit of God that is sending them. They went on their way down to Seleucia, which was the harbor, all right, that they would go out of. And from there, they sailed to Cyprus. Cyprus was an island, and they're going to go to the east side of that island when they arrived at Salamis. All right, that's the east city. There they proclaim the word of God in the, what does it say? In the synagogues. What we see when Paul and Barnabas are going to go and Paul does his missionary journeys, what we see is they are first going to establish contact with the Jewish community. And so we see Paul and Barnabas first going to the Jewish community. And so they go to multiple synagogues. There's a plural there. It's not just one synagogue. It's multiple synagogues. And as they're going, um, they are going to travel. And they're, they want to go to the Jewish um, people. And, uh, and as they go, they're going to teach. And they're going to proclaim. And we're going to see some of that message Next week, in, 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 as they're sent to another place, but we can get a picture of it even here today. So they're there. They proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John. Remember, John Mark had joined them. He was there to assist them. When they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, which is on the west, if you look on the on the map of Cyprus, um, Salamis is on the east, which would be for you over here. And then they would travel over to the west all the way around the island. And it says, so when they've gotten to um, Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And, uh, and so this is an important um, city, because uh, when you do some research and, and study of this city of of uh, Paphos, this is actually where they have found in, in archaeological digs um, the 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 ruins of kings of the rulers of that time, and so they've uncovered a lot of this, and so they actually uncovered uh, who we're going to talk about here, uh, the proconsul. Um, Sergius Paulus, we, we actually have inscriptions today that, that have his name on things, which further confirms this book that you and I hold is not just a made up of fables and stories. 
this history is truth. This really took place. And so as we read, we see that, that, uh, that Paul and Barnabas have this interaction and they come upon um, this false prophet, a Jewish false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And so this man is a magician. This is the second magician that we're going to see because Peter actually runs into a magician back in chapter 8 in verse 9. And so this is the second magician which speaks highly to me, okay? You have all these different magicians going around, and what are they doing? They're trying to give signs to people because people on this earth want to see things. We live in a day and age that's just like that. Prove it to me. Show it to me. I want to see it. If I'm not careful, I kind of fall into that at times too. But we see this is very real as he, as uh, Paul and Barnabas go with John Mark. Verse 7, it says, he was with the proconsul, uh, uh, Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and brought, sought to hear the word of God. And so the proconsul actually asked for Saul, for Paul and Barnabas to come and to proclaim the word because he wants to hear about it. He's heard about it. He wants to hear directly from them now. And so he summons them. They come. But verse 8 says, but um, Elimus, the magician, for that is the meaning of his name, opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. And so we see his motives. The magician is not desiring for his master to see this. And so what we see is Elimus is probably um, the court's um, uh, astrologist. And in doing so, we see this because in a little bit, he's going to have a curse upon him and he will no longer be able to see the sun. I don't think that's just coincidence. I think that's because this is the man who would look at the sun and the stars and who would give guidance um, through his magic to the king at that time, to the authority there on Cyprus at that time. And, and so he doesn't want these guys to come and to share about the word of God. Why is that? Well, he is a Jew, and you begin to wonder, maybe down deep inside he knows something. Hmm. So, verse 9 but Saul, who was called Paul, here's the name change, all right? The name change happens. Filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, you are the son of the devil. I love that, don't you? I probably love that because I'd like to call some people that. Confession. You are the son of the devil. So Saul, Paul, Dr. Luke tells us what he's doing, what he's all about. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. So Saul is working on behalf of God, filled with the Spirit of God, speaking for God, going to proclaim the word of God to someone, and someone is standing in his way. And he says, you are the son of the devil. 
Because that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to prevent the message of Jesus being proclaimed. He is the father of lies. He is the deceiver. He does not care about the truth. Saul says, Paul says, you are your enemy of all righteousness. Of everything that is right, you are the enemy. You are full of all deceit and villainy. You will not stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord. Here's the Lord's word. It's straight. It is all this way. And what is this? Man, the magician doing, he's shifting back and forth. It's actually a a call, kind of an analogy going back to the Old Testament and what Israel struggled with as God gave them the law and wanted them to be his nation, they would walk crookedly. Verse 11. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. Immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. So immediately, this action takes place. He says, you're, you're not going to lose your sight. But notice there that it's for a time. You'll be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. I think that speaks of the grace and the mercy of God. Because maybe, just maybe, God was extending grace and mercy that this man would be blind, even though he was uh, the son of the devil, that he would turn from his wickedness and see the light of Jesus. Just maybe. It's great to see the mercy of God. This man was blinded immediately, and he needed people to help him. He was reaching for people to help guide him because he was lost. That's our world today. Verse 12 sums up this section that we're covering. Then the proconsul believed, and when he saw, when he saw what, he, what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. He didn't just believe because of what he saw. He believed because of what he saw and was astonished at the teaching. This teaching was not the teaching that he was given. This was new teaching. This was teaching by men who were filled by the Spirit of God. He saw evidence of that as the enemy of God got in the way. When we look at this, we need to be reminded that there will always be opposition to the gospel. Just as there was then, there is today. There's opposition to the gospel of Jesus Christ. The proconsul believed. He was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Ultimately, what he was given is what we are going to see next week He was given freedom. He was given eternal life. He was given salvation. We've talked a little bit about Jesus and what he's done for us here this morning. The question I have for you today is, do you believe that? 
Do you believe that Jesus died for you and was buried and rose again three days later, conquering sin and death? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who God sent to save us and to save his people? The second question is, as we look at this text, is the Spirit of God guiding you? We see the Spirit of God clearly guiding the early leaders of the church in Antioch. As they are fasting and praying, God, through the Spirit of God, he directs them and guides them to set aside Paul and Barnabas to go. And their missionary work starts. And as Paul and Barnabas and John Mark go, we see that the Spirit of God is guiding them and moving in them and through them. And so I ask you today, is the spirit of the living God guiding you today? Or are you getting in the way? It's easy to get in the way of the spirit of God. When you don't spend time with God, you won't hear the spirit of God. When you don't make God a priority and living out his word, it will be hard to hear the spirit of God speak to you. It will be even harder for you to allow the Spirit to guide you each day. It's one thing to hear the Spirit of God. It's another thing to allow the Spirit of God to guide you. What we see here is that the Spirit of God guidance, it was always confirmed. So the Spirit of God may tell you that you need to go out and buy an F-150. If the Spirit of God tells you to do that, you may want to seek the Lord for confirmation of that. I'm a big believer that God confirms what he says to us. As the Spirit guides us, I believe that he confirms. He confirms it through the truth of his word, and he confirms it with other believers as we walk through this life. So is the Spirit of God guiding you? And do you have people around you who can help confirm the spirit of God? Or are they like this man, the son of the devil? Who actually are getting in the way of what God wants to do in your life. As we allow the spirit of God to guide us, we can surely be confident that God will provide what we need. God provided for Saul and Barnabas, and John Mark, as they proclaimed the truth of God's word, God provided what they needed. And that was to take somebody out of the picture so the truth could be heard and received. God may not always do that for us. God may not always make our life convenient and easy. But we can surely be confident that God will provide exactly what we need as we live our lives under the guidance of the Spirit. So today, we leave not wishing, not earthly hoping, but we can hope biblically because the confidence that we have is not in us, not in you and I, but a confidence in the God who is in control and in charge of all things who can take a man and instantly blind him. You think about the church as they read this. 
in the late first and early second centuries, as they started reading these stories of the gospel being proclaimed, they're reading this story about Saul and Barnabas and John Mark, who some of them had encountered and had a relationship with. They read this story about how God supernaturally blinded this man because he was in the way of the gospel. And how they could read that and understand that. And that gave them a great confidence, a great joy. So that as they lived out their faith, they knew their God was behind them. And could do anything. So that the word would continue to spread. Folks, God will not be stopped. Do you know that? You grab hold of that. You treasure that. In a world of chaos and clutter and junk, God will not be stopped. Don't forget that. Will you pray with me? Lord, thanks for the truth of your word. Thank you that we can place our confidence in you. In your provision that we will receive exactly what we need. I pray that you would help us to keep our eyes fixed upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before himself the cross. He went there for us, endured and suffered a cruel death. You provided for us, Lord, an eternal relationship that's found through Jesus. If we've trusted Jesus as our Savior, the Spirit of God lives inside of us just as the Spirit of God was living inside of the early Jewish church here. Both Jews and Gentiles experienced the indwelling of the Spirit of God. We see the working of the Spirit of God as you guided Saul and Barnabas and John Mark, how you had transformed their lives and changed them, and they were sent by you to further proclaim the good news of Jesus. Lord, you've done that work in us. As followers of Jesus, you've put us, you've placed us here on this earth to further proclaim, to further go out and to spread the good news of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would allow your spirit to guide us. Help us not to get in your way. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us when we lessen the spirit's impact upon our lives. When we no longer listen to you, and we no longer do what you ask us to do. May we find great encouragement this day knowing that you've set us as tools and instruments to proclaim to all nations that there truly is a God and he desires to have a relationship with all men. We have great confidence, Lord, that you cannot be stopped. So may that confidence give us strength and boldness and peace and security 
today and in the days ahead because we know there will be opposition against the gospel. But may we stand strong, living and proclaiming the truth. We need your help, Lord. Thank you for your presence. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.